what is the greatest danger to the church? Our professor's answer was one word, it was clear, it was swift. He said mediocrity. Mediocrity. We are a people so often stuck in neutral, unexcited, indifferent about our faith. We are distracted by so many false deities that we're just kind of existing disoriented. But that was not Stephen. That wasn't our early brothers and sisters in the church. They were focused. They were motivated men and women. They faced formidable foes. They faced death. That's not our reality. Our danger is in others. It's us. It's not martyrdom. It's mediocrity. That's the danger of the future of our faith. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want you to think back this morning. Think back to a gift that you have received in the past. A gift that someone gave to you that meant a great deal to you. I did that this past week, and my mind curiously settled on a memory that I hadn't thought about in a really long time. I was probably nine or ten years old, fourth or fifth grade. I was living in Oak Ridge with my mom. For most of my childhood, my mom was a single mother. Uh, we didn't have a great deal of money, but we certainly managed. Lived in a modest home near the elementary school that I attended. And because they had just renovated our local mall in Oak Ridge, and that was a big deal, and because it was free entertainment, we would often go to the Oak Ridge Mall and we would kind of walk around. We would never spend a lot of money, but we would just check out all of the new things in all the various stores. So it's during one of those trips to the mall, as I'm walking through the mall with my mom, I glance over and I see in this display case of the front window of a jewelry store called Lou Mac Jewelers, this beautiful gold rope chain with an anchor pendant attached to it. Now, before you judge me, you got to remember, this is the late 80s. So it's, so it's big hair, and it's chains, and uh, necklaces, and jewelry. And, and so as I walked over to this display case, the lights from this display case shone down on this gold rope chain and this anchor pendant like beams of light directly from heaven. And I don't know if you all remember, uh, by a show of hands, who remembers Mr. T? Oh, a bunch of people, okay. So Mr. T was an actor uh, from the 80s. I think there was even a, a cartoon on Saturday mornings for uh, the, the middle part of the 80s. There was even a serial, I think. So I thought Mr. T was just about the coolest man alive, this big stack of gold chains around his neck. And I wanted to be just like him. And this gold rope chain and this anchor was a Mr. T starter kit. 
So weeks and weeks go by, I can't stop thinking about this gold rope chain and this anchor. Every time we'd go back to the mall, I'd press my face against the display case. And one trip, my mom actually went into the store. She began to talk to one of the employees inside. And I watched as she filled out some paperwork and she handed over some cash. But then we left. In that scene, months and months went by and repeated itself. I would go and I would drool over the display case. She would go inside, hand over cash, but we would leave with nothing. Now, I'm 10 years old. I don't know anything about commerce or consumer exchange, but I thought, that's a pretty bad deal, right? You walk into a store and give somebody cash and you leave with nothing? So all these months go by, and one fateful night, we go to the mall. I rush over to visit my gold rope chain and my anchor, and the display case is empty. It's gone. Somebody was walking around that mall with my gold rope chain and my anchor on. <laughs> and I'm standing there with a naked neck, going, how am I supposed to be Mr. T now? So a few weeks after that, it's my birthday, I'm at home, and my mom hands me a small bag. And in the bottom of that bag was that gold rope chain and that anchor. My mom had been going in periodically, making payments on this gift for me. If you grew up with somewhat limited means, you too know the joys of layaway. So I was thinking about that this past week, and emotions began to rush over me, thinking about that gift and reflecting on the love and the sacrifice. Seeing this broken world that we live in that's so often me-focused, that kind of commitment, that selflessness, is still startling to me. I also recall when I got that gift and I put the, the gold rope chain of the anchor on my neck, I remember my mom giving me some instructions for the care of that gift. She said, now make sure and put it in a safe place because you don't want to lose it. And, uh, and you probably shouldn't wear it when you're out playing with your friends because you don't want it to be damaged. So, I immediately misplaced it somewhere in my room. And then when I found it, I decided to wear it outside playing with my friends. And it was ripped off of my neck in the backyard football game. When you get a gift like that, a gift that costs so much, you really should cherish it and protect it. Maybe share it with others. You should wish that others would feel what you feel when you get that gift. And I didn't. So fast forward to just about three weeks ago, I'm here at the church with Pastor Adam. As part of my studies at the seminary, part of my vicarage, this pastoral intern uh, program, we visit a few hours every Wednesday afternoon. We talk about life. We talk about school. We talk about classes. We talk about upcoming events at the church. And we do some sermon planning. We've been walking through the book of Acts for the past few weeks. And so it was during that meeting, Pastor Adam and I are visiting, and he says, you're going to be preaching in... Uh, in about three weeks, when you, when you come, which is this morning, he says, I want you to talk about the gift of martyrdom. And I said, what? The gift of martyrdom? Because your thought is probably my first thought, and that is, gifts are really good, martyrdom, not so good. Martyrdom's bad. How is being a martyr a good thing? How is martyrdom a gift? But this past couple of weeks, I've been reading through some of the verses that Pastor Adam and I talked about. I've been looking at commentaries. I've been praying. And my uh, perception and my understanding of this gift of martyrdom has changed a little bit. And I hope yours does as well before you leave here 
this morning. So if you're like my 11-year-old daughter, Mallory, when I told her, hey, tomorrow I'm going to talk about martyrdom, she said, what the heck is martyrdom? So it's natural to start with a definition. Martyrdom, the first definition that I came upon, it says, the suffering of death on account of adhering to a cause, especially for one's faith. Underneath that, it said, see affliction and see torture. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I thought martyrdom is. This sermon is going to be impossible. But I committed to do a little more digging, and I discovered that the word martyr comes from the Koine Greek word martis, which means witness or testimony. One commentary that I read said, it's a witness who testifies to a fact that he or she has knowledge about from personal experience. So in that sense, you're telling someone what you have personally observed, what you've personally experienced. Tertullian, who is a second century church father, said this about martyrs. He said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Because the sacrifice of so many of our early brothers and sisters led to the conversion to Christianity of so many others. Their deaths led to the development of the church as we know it. Can you believe that early Christians would actually desire to be martyrs? They viewed it as a really good and noble thing. So in just a moment, we're going to read about the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was the first follower of Jesus to be martyred, to lose his life. Stephen was stoned to death. What a horrific way to lose your life. But Stephen exemplifies both definitions of martyr that I read to you just a moment ago. He suffered for a cause, which was his faith, and he died because of his witness and his testimony. So Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He certainly wasn't the only or the last. Depending on what version you read of church history, some say all of the apostles were martyred. Some say all but one was martyred. Suffice it to say that most were martyred. They suffered terrible deaths. They were crucified, crucified upside down, speared, beheaded, stoned. One account that I read says the individual was cruelly put to death. We see these martyrs and we see that they give their lives for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. But before they give their lives, they live their lives for the gospel. So we're going to unpack martyrdom a bit this morning. I'm going to focus on that scene that modern day Bibles talk about, the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60. But first, I want to walk through just a moment of background until we get to that difficult scene so you can understand what set the stage of Stephen losing his life. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 6 to begin to determine who was Stephen. Now, Pastor Adam talked to you a little bit last week about the service, these seven that were chosen in the uh, daily distribution. And we know from chapter 6 that Stephen was one of these seven men that was chosen to help serve. We know from uh, chapter 6, verse 3, that he was part of the men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. If you go a little bit further down to verse 5, it says, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. A little bit farther down from that in verse uh, 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs. 
So here we have Stephen, this man of great repute, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power, and everything is A-OK until he draws the attention of what we read in verse 9, the synagogue of freed men, this council of elite uh, Jew, Greek-speaking Jews. So if you look in uh, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was teaching. Verse 12 tells us, they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. He was seeking to change their custom. So that's who Stephen was. He's brought in, he's before the council, he's been seized. Uh, And I love this last line in chapter 6, verse 15. It says, and gazing at him, this is the council gazing at Stephen. It says, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, the same kind of scene plays out with Moses in Exodus chapter 34, and to a larger extent in the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. So that's kind of the scene. And then in chapter 7, we get into his speech. Stephen begins to give this speech. It's the longest recital in all of Acts. And what Stephen essentially does is he starts walking through all of the Old Testament. If you haven't read the Old Testament, Using Acts chapter 7 is a good place to kind of walk through. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 66 in the Bible. So it's a good chunk of our Bible. There's a lot of people, places, and events that you may not be familiar with. So if you start with Acts chapter 7, you can go back and find the larger story. So there Stephen is. He begins to give this speech. He begins talking about Father Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Jacob. And he talks to a large extent about Moses. So this history lesson is going well. Everything, again, is A-OK. Until we get to verse 51 and 52, here Stephen flips the script a little bit. He turns the tables and he begins to accuse his accusers. Check check the tone of this as he begins to move from history lesson and and the tone that he uh, says back to the council. In verse 51 it says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the righteous one being Jesus. And listen to this, it says, the one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He says, you betrayed Jesus, you murdered Jesus. Essentially, in rejecting Jesus, you rejected God himself. And the council gives that speech zero stars. Will not recommend. Two thumbs down. They do not like it. They don't care for it. So what they do in response to that speech is what brings us to the stoning of Stephen in chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. 54 says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that name, Saul. We're going to hear more from Saul in the coming weeks. Next week in chapter 8, Pastor Adam is probably going to tell you about how Saul ravages the church. 
And it says, as they were stoning Stephen, he, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen wasn't taking a nap. That's another way of saying he was, he was killed. So like the crucifixion of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, we see that Stephen died with two prayers on his lips. The first prayer, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And like Christ, he prays out, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. He dies literally praying for the people who are taking his life. How deep a love is that? I might say a few things if they're stoning me, but it's not, Lord, forgive them. So Stephen's death will kick off a larger persecution of the church. And again, Pastor Adam will tell you more about that next week. But this morning, I want you to see Stephen. I want you to see his life. I want you to see his death. See who he was in life. See how he died. And remember, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. He and others, Stephen and so many others, planted something very beautiful that we are the beneficiaries of today. Like my mom's sacrifice to give me that gift, Stephen selflessly witnessed and sacrificed to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. See, that's the gift that he gave to all of us. So I, as I begin to think about Stephen and his life and his sacrifice and the idea of martyrdom, I begin to ask myself this past week, are we as the church living in the example of Stephen's life? Are we giving thanks for the sacrifice of martyrs and for their death? Like 10-year-old Adam, who allowed his gift to get misplaced and mangled, I fear that we don't love and we don't sacrifice like Stephen and so many others. We don't wish that others would feel what we feel. We don't protect this gift. We don't cherish it. We might even tell others, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I too, I would give my life for the gospel when we're not living our lives for the gospel. Present-day followers of Jesus, and I've been guilty of this myself, they'll tell you all about how they're under attack and all of their persecutions. I've had people unfriend me on Facebook. They tell me, man, you talk about Jesus all the time. I got tired of hearing it. Uh, people may unfollow you on social media, but it's quite unlikely in this country that you and I will ever be dragged away, seized, imprisoned, stoned, We'll never, we will probably never lose our life for saying that we're a follower of Jesus. But that is exactly what happened to Stephen and so many other martyrs. So my question for you, me, for the larger church is what is stopping us? This past week in class on Tuesday, one of my classmates asked our professor, a longtime seminary professor, there's a Q&A during class, and he said, my classmate asked, in your opinion, what is the greatest danger to the church? Our professor's answer was one word. It was clear. It was swift. He said mediocrity. Mediocrity. We are a people so often stuck in neutral, unexcited, indifferent about our faith. We are distracted by so many false deities that we're just kind of existing disoriented. But that was not Stephen. 
that wasn't our early brothers and sisters in the church. They were focused. They were motivated men and women. They faced formidable foes. They faced death. That's not our reality. Our danger is in others. It's us. It's not martyrdom. It's mediocrity. That's the danger of the future of our faith. So in closing, I want us to live a life of example like Stephen, like the other martyrs. Let us be moved, let us be motivated in love. Let us join together as believers. Let us pray earnestly for our enemies. Let us carry that good news of martyrdom, the good news of Jesus to others. Let us be martyrs, at least in regard to the second definition, witnessing and giving testimony about our personal observations, observations about God's faithfulness. I don't have enough time this morning or beautiful enough words. I can't articulate to you how faithful God has been in my life. If you can say the same, tell somebody about it. We don't shout from the rooftops when we've been rescued by God. God has rescued me. Witnessing, as Stephen and so many others do, about another gift, we need to talk to them about the gift of salvation in Jesus. Breaking out of mediocrity and moving forward in this mission of love, we can tell the lost and the hurting in those suffering, in those so sick with sin, all about what Jesus did on the cross for all people. That no one is out of his reach. Thanks be to God. So as I continue to think about this gift this past week, I begin to wonder, what was the allure with that gold chain and that anchor? Especially that anchor. I'm not a junior sailor, I'm not a fisherman. Why do they have such an allure with me. So I decided to use my Google machine, and I wanted to find a picture of an Im- or an image of that pendant. And ironically, as Pastor Adam and I are here last week, one of the stained glass images over here actually has something that looks similar. It's got an anchor in there. But the picture that I found online referred to this as the anchored cross or the cross of hope. That's what this article called it. And below that image was this reference to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. So, of course, I had to go back and read Hebrews chapter 6, 19, and it's part of a section talking about the certainty of God's promise. In Hebrews 6, 19, it speaks of the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, the hope that we have because of Jesus. We are a people who are redeemed and ransomed and rescued and made right with the Father, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, because of this gift of Jesus that God has given us. And when we begin to drift away in darkness, it's the anchor and that hope that brings us back. So let us recognize these gifts that we've been given, this gift of martyrdom from Stephen and so many others, this gift of God's grace and Jesus. Let us do all we can to honor these gifts in our God But let us remember that even in our own sinfulness, in our stumbles, and our shortcomings, and yes, even in our seasons of doubt, that we have hope in God's promise. The promise that we have salvation through faith in Christ, there is no greater gift than that. Will you pray with me?
gracious and merciful Father, allow us to recognize and cherish the gift of martyrdom and the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Allow us to learn to love our enemies by the example of your martyr, Steve, of your martyr Stephen. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So at this time, we're going to take up an offering. If you came today prepared to give, you can give. There's some, going to be some popcorn buckets in the back of the church. You can give a cash card or chocolate. I'll take the chocolate. If you don't want to give today, you can give online. That's what I do. Go to thepointknox.com. There's a little teal icon that you can click on. You can give uh, a gift one time. You can set up a recurring remittance, again, which is what I do because I'm forgetful. But as Pastor Adam always tells us, we give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. One other quick announcement is I think Pastor Adam told me we've been for the last few weeks raising funds for a room that was formerly Pastor Adam's office that's going to be converted into a uh, new mother's room. I guess expectant mothers, new mothers, a place where you can go uh, and, and have a place just through these double doors. So we've been trying to raise funds, uh, and I think I was told this morning that we reached that goal. So thank you all very much. Yeah, absolutely. So. Good morning. Hi, Adam. Hello, Adam. For those of you who don't know, it's Adam and Adam. Doctor, doctor. <laughs> Pastor Adam and eventual soon-to-be Pastor Adam. Thank you for that word today. I appreciate it. Every single Sunday, we invite your questions, and usually I get put on the hot seat, or hot seat and have to answer them or respond to them, but now you get to. So this is a fun turn of events. Out of respect, I'll defer to you this morning if you want to No, do it's that. fine. Okay. There's still time to text in even harder questions if you'd like. Uh, I'll wait and refresh, all right? So the first one, I've never been here, but I love it. So Welcome. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah. Uh, second, are there any requirements to take communion at the point? There are some requirements to take communion at the point. Uh, number one, we talked about baptism earlier, so we would ask that you be a baptized uh, believer. Scripture spends time talking about the seriousness uh, of, uh, of communion. We should take it seriously. There's a certain section, I think Paul tells us, that if we do this flippantly, if we do it uh, without the right heart, without the right reverence, that we actually eat and drink judgment on ourselves. So we believe that in some mysterious way, it's actually Christ's body and Christ's blood uh, and it's a very serious thing um, that Christ gave us in reverence. So uh, we would ask, obviously, that you be uh, a baptized believer. Any other uh, conditions? Or This no. was a good one. Thank you, guys. It was a good one, yeah. This wasn't okay. even mine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, the word he uses is if you eat and drink it in an unworthy manner. Right. And we define an unworthy manner as somebody who doesn't perceive the body and blood. So if you don't actually believe as we do that it's both mysteriously bread and wine and also body and blood, yeah. perhaps refrain. We'd also say um, if you don't believe that his forgiveness is for you, it's not for you. Because communion is receiving his forgiveness. And so if you don't think you need it, don't come to communion. And it's never your intent and it's never my intent to close the table and not invite folks. Like this should be a table for a family. We want everyone to come forward. So don't feel like you're being excluded or left out. Like the desire is for you to come here. We just want to make sure that you understand what's taking place here. We will gladly sit down for a drink or for some coffee or lunch anytime and talk through any questions you may have about communion. And I would love for you to put Adam on the spot with really tough questions about communion. Uh, so please schedule that lunch. All right, next question. Sometimes my walk with God is super strong, 
and sometimes it's not that great. Kind of like a roller coaster. But the Bible says if we are lukewarm, God will spit you out of his mouth. Am I going to be spit out of God's mouth for not being strong in my faith all the time? Um, the answer is no. And the answer is me too, to some extent in my life. There's been a lot of seasons where I have been lukewarm, where I've kind of been, uh, we talked about mediocrity. That was me to a T for many, many years. So um, I love some of the reference in scripture. There's all these things about the prodigal son and leaving the nine to nine to go after the one. We have a God who wants us uh, to be in his presence. And so uh, the idea that because we're lukewarm or because we have a season of stray or of doubt that God forever turns his back on us and he shuns us, people do that. God doesn't do that. So the only reason that you wouldn't have salvation or presence uh, with God would be to say that I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't believe that Jesus is the one who provided the way to my salvation. That's God's grace. Short of you saying I don't want it, being lukewarm, having seasons that are difficult, everyone has seasons of doubt and difficulty. Uh, so it just provides an opportunity for that beautiful reconciliation, for that coming home to be, to be welcomed again. So. Thanks. And that anchor comes to mind, right? Because when you're anchored, even though you drift, you're going to stay somewhat tied to that spot. Awesome. All right, one last question. There's still time for a few more. First, did you ever find your Mr. T starter chain? I found it in my room, and then I had it ripped off my neck, and then I had it repaired, and then I lost it again. Quality. And the same person asked, how do you spell that $10 word of the day? Uh, ecumenical? Yes. Well, that's a great question. You really want me to try to spell it? That's the question, so it's your job to respond. Ecumenical. You guys know I didn't win any spelling bees, uh, so here we go. E-C-U-M-E-N-I-C-A-L. Ecumenical. Nobody knows any different if I got it wrong. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more did come in. What's the best way to engage with Christians that are extreme in their methods of evangelizing? Who? Uh, that's hard. I think the way to engage... Oh, there's a follow-up here. Oh. Extreme to the point of running people away. Yeah. So we should never be the people who, uh, in bringing Jesus to other people, force people away or give them a bad taste. I heard one time a pastor said, I think it was Pastor Justin, who's in Omaha now. He said, out of 100 people who are exploring Christianity, uh, one might read the Bible and learn about Jesus that way through God's Word, but 99 are going to look at the Christian. And that really resonated with me because I'm going, I profess to be a follower of Jesus. If someone looked at me, would they want what I have? Would they say, yes, that's consistent with Christianity? That's a big responsibility that we care when, when we wave the banner of Christianity. So um, what was the question again? I've talked myself into confusion. <laughs> What's the best way to engage right. with Christians that are extreme in their method of evangelizing? Uh, in love. In love. With anyone that's different. Uh, from us, whether it's extreme, whether it's lifestyle, whatever happens to be, the first default has to be love. So um, we, can we can live in the example of Jesus and so many others in that manner. So um, the exact way that you articulate that or how you do that might be different based on the circumstances, but just from a loving posture that's not meeting um, that kind of strength with strength. So. Awesome. All right. Any other doozies for you? Come on, guys. Put it away. They just keep coming in. This is great. One more. I, I'll just keep refreshing There's all food day. food trucks outside if you guys want to go out and eat. <laughs> what is the best way to follow God? The best way to follow God? Yeah. 
Uh, prayer is a good start. It's a one-way communication. Uh, that's always appropriate. I think he wants to hear from us and loves that relationship. We also have something beautiful uh, in Scripture, and that's God's perfect and inerrant Word. That's how we can learn about God and grow in faith. I didn't read the Bible for many, many years, uh, but uh, the God inspired the writing of the Bible through mortal writers, mortal authors, but it's God's Word. So if you want to learn about God, read your Bible daily, be in prayer often, be around uh, other Christians who are walking and uh, exemplifying the Christian faith. So Bible, prayer, other people, anything else, any other good advice that we should? That's a good start. All right. Yeah. And if you don't know where to start, the other people is a great place to start. Start talking to people who you see are following Jesus and say, how do I become like you? I want to do what you're doing. In fact, Paul even, he writes that we should imitate him as he imitates Jesus. So if you want to learn how to follow Jesus, find somebody who's following Jesus and start doing what they do. Yeah. Well, before the benediction, here I can see the sigh of relief on your face. I put my phone away. So at this point, if you text in questions, I'll respond to them later in the week or next Sunday. So you missed your window, but he'll be preaching again next month. You can ask hard questions for him then. All right. All right. Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.